welcome back to Nonsense Acknowledged with myself, Nicole Dixon. So for this upcoming episode, it's going to be a bit of a bigger one. I've started coining it a bit of a mega-sode in terms of it's going to be longer than usual. Usually I have a specific set of things planned out about what I'm going to talk about and it doesn't go beyond a page of a small like A5 notebook. This one's about two pages long, so buckle yourselves in. I'm going to try and remember to put the timestamps in the description of this episode just so that you can skip forward to where you want to go to instead of kind of having to listen to the entire thing if not all of it kind of settles with you and it's not quite what you want to listen to. So something else I just wanted to mention before I go ahead and get on with this episode, just to drag it out a little bit longer, is that if you follow me over on my Instagram, Nonsense Acknowledged, which you should definitely do, I highly recommend, but of course I'm biased. If you follow me over there, you will notice that I am now going to a monthly upload schedule. It won't affect a lot of you because I'm sure you just stumble onto this when you kind of see it on social media. So that's totally fine. But just as an FYI, I am going to be doing a monthly upload schedule from now on instead of the fortnightly one, which I had done in the past. So without further ado, I am going to tell you what we are talking about this month and that will be type 1 diabetes. Now I have a very special reason as to why I, for this month's episode, am doing type 1 diabetes. For those who know me, they will know that I have had type 1 for a very long time now, and in fact, the reason that I'm doing the episode is because as of this month, my diabetes will legally be able to drink in America. Yes, I will have had type 1 diabetes for a full 21 years as of later this month. So I thought with the approaching National Diabetes Month, that being November, that this would be a perfect time to kind of just have a chat to you guys and let you guys know about my point of view of living with diabetes for 21 years. Now, I know that's a lot longer than a lot of other diabetics that I know who are around my age. Um, I will get into the logistics and that sort of stuff, but usually it's a little bit further down the line that you get it, not at the very young age that I got it, which was about a year and nine months. Months. And I'll get more in depth into like my diagnosis and that sort of stuff later. Um, but yeah, basically, I just want to sit down and have a heart to heart chat with you guys about a heap of different aspects about type 1 diabetes because it's not the most popular <laughs> kind of version of diabetes that gets talked about. I'm not saying that it's popular to have type 1 diabetes, that would be a little strange, but it's definitely something that doesn't get us spoken about as much as type 2. So I'm just going to go in depth, give my opinions. Obviously, anything said in here is of my own opinion. It is not medical advice or anything like that. It is just what I have gone through and obviously, if you need to seek help with diabetes in any aspect, go to a professional. Um, this is just the way that I see it as someone who has had diabetes for so long. So saying that, I'm going to go into the first section of this, which is the difference between the different types of diabetes. So the one that I have is type 1 diabetes, so that is also known as juvenile diabetes. It's the one that isn't caused by lifestyle, usually hereditary. For myself, 
no one else in my family has it. It's just little old me. Um, my pancreas just decided to opt out and none of the rest of my family has had the same thing happen to them. <laughs> but that's a little bit of an anomaly. But that is type 1. It is when your pancreas does not produce insulin anymore. Um, basically, my body thought that my pancreas was a, in simplified terms, a foreign object and was like, we want none of that and now I don't produce insulin. So that's type 1 and you usually get that in adolescence. Like I said, I got it quite a bit younger than that, but generally it's that kind of adolescent time frame that you get it. Type 2 is the one that most people know about, which is the one that is caused by lifestyle. It's when people make jokes about if you have a big meal or have a lot of like sweets or something that you're going to get diabetes. That's, I'm going to go into later why you shouldn't say that, but that's the one that they would be referring to. That's type 2, which is based on lifestyle. It's something that I guess can technically be cured um, in terms of if you regulate regulate it enough, your pancreas can kind of kickstart again. You're not completely insulin deficient, but you are to a point that you need to medicate for it. So that's type 2. And so the third part of that is gestational diabetes. It's one of the top three kind of more well-known types of diabetes. This one occurs more so just in pregnancy. Um, I'm not fully up to scratch on gestational diabetes. It's not something that I've looked into at all. Um, but it is basically you can get diabetes during pregnancy. Um, I think sometimes you can, it can carry over to after pregnancy as well, but generally it is just while you're pregnant. Um, so that's a whole other facet. But those are the three kind of main known types of diabetes. Um, obviously today we're going to be talking about type 1 because that's what I know about, but obviously if you want to learn a bit more about the other two types you can definitely go and research those. It's just not what we will be talking about today. Now let's move into the part of this episode where I talk all about myself. I'm going to be going through a few different facets of diabetes through my experience and obviously the best place to start for that that makes the most sense chronologically, is my diagnosis. So people who know me in my personal life may already know this story, um, but it is one that I enjoy telling just to kind of give people an idea of what it was like. Less so for me, because I was very young, but more so for my parents and kind of what they went through when I was a little baby um, and felt very unwell. So basically... My diagnosis, I was diagnosed at 21 months old or a year and nine months old. And this kind of started off when I was, as a baby, quite unwell. Usually with type 1 diabetes, you'll either kind of go into a coma and that's how you'll realise or I know other people will have, like, their blood sugars will go very high and they'll be drinking a lot and needing to use the bathroom a lot. And then you kind of establish it that way. There's weight loss as well. As a kid, um, obviously that wasn't as noticeable because I was so young. But I was very visibly kind of unwell at that point. So my parents took me to the hospital. And the funny thing is, and obviously with their diagnosis, you, you never know what it can be. Um, but they basically told my parents that I had chicken pox and just wait for the spots to come out. <laughs> so... They did that, and the spots never came out. Anyway, I think this happened maybe twice, and then it ended up that I went into a diabetic coma, which would have been very, very scary for my parents. 
So I went under and got rushed to um, one of the larger hospitals in the um, town that I was living at at the time. And essentially from that point, got worked on, got diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. And that was in, if I remember correctly, the 21st of September, 1997. So... That happened, and I think one of my favourite stories, and I know one of my dad's favourite stories about that, is me as a little baby ended up getting, I don't know the technical medical term for it, but essentially it was the shape of a screwdriver drilled into my leg uh, because they couldn't find the fluids, so they couldn't kind of test my sugar and um, work with it for that. So I had pretty much a screwdriver in my leg as a kid, which doing up a diagram and showing my friends when I was still a kid but a bit older was, I think, one of the funniest things I have ever done because you've got to have a bit of humour around it. And I think that it's quite cool. And the fact that I had this massive screwdriver type thing in my leg, I just find that absolutely hilarious as a little child, just the visual aspect of it. Anyway, besides the point, that's what happened. I was in the hospital, obviously came out of it okay on the other end because I'm here now. But that was my diagnosis. That is how little old year and nine month old me was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. So as mentioned a little bit earlier, I wanted to run through essentially how not to offend a diabetic, which obviously with political correctness, there are varying levels of offending people, but these are kind of the most basic and the ones that I go by. Obviously, some people don't mind as much. However, for me, these are kind of the baseline things that you need to know about diabetes to not try and piss one of them off. (laughs) And I guess the first one is, like I mentioned earlier, it's the oh, you'll get diabetes if you eat that, or, you know, hashtag gonna get diabetes when you go out and have a big meal or a heap of sweets or something like that. It's a very common misconception, and it's very annoying for type 1 diabetics that it's just like, oh, you're gonna get diabetes. Well, no, I mean, medically down the line, if you have an unhealthy lifestyle, you might get type 2 diabetes, but that doesn't reflect on us at all. We were going to and have gotten diabetes no matter what we eat or when we eat and how much we eat of it. So that's something that you just need to be careful of. It's not huge, but I do know a lot of other diabetics that get very, very offended by it, and rightly so, because it's a common misconception that gets continually like perpetrated and reused and recycled because it's funny and it's not really that funny. So if you're around a diabetic, just know that's probably going to annoy them. I guess the second thing to bring up around not offending a diabetic is intent. So what I mean by intent is essentially if you're trying to be malicious about it, we can tell. It's very easy to tell when someone is judging you for your diabetes because it's not actually that easy to hide. Uh, Sorry to break it to you, but having, especially myself having had it for so long, I'm very well trained in being able to pick up on essentially micro expressions where people are like, you give yourself needles? oh, that's cool. And it's like, no, you don't think that's cool. You think it's terrifying and that's fine, but admit it. So what I mean intent, I essentially mean it's someone saying you can't eat that versus can you eat that? So if you say you can't eat that when I'm about to have, I don't know, a bag of, a bag of popcorn, something like that, going to the movies, having a bag of popcorn, someone says you can't eat that. I'll turn around and go, bitch, yes, I can. 
I have had this for a long time. I know what I can and cannot eat. I also know what I should and shouldn't eat, but that's a whole different ball game. But basically what I'm saying is if someone says to me, you can't eat that, I'll be like, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> I know what I'm doing. Whereas if someone turns around instead and says to me, can you eat that? That's curiosity. And that's fine. I am more than happy to answer questions about my diabetes to people. But that's someone saying, can you eat that? And trying to learn more about that and being genuinely curious about how my diabetes works. And that's totally fine. So that's what I mean. It's the intention that you have behind your words. And you can't really cover up that intent. That's the thing. You always give off that kind of impression when you're verbalizing how you feel about something and especially if the diabetic especially if they're newly diagnosed is probably sensitive to people judging you for just having the condition at that point you need to be very aware that your intent is obvious so that's another way to easily offend a diabetic and not just on a oh I don't like you saying that kind of level on a much more personal level Another thing I guess is on the back of asking questions is being intrusive and not. There is a line that you can very easily step over. Like I said before, I do not mind answering questions about my diabetes. In fact, I really enjoy it because it means there is one more person that has learnt from my experience and if they are around me or another diabetic and something happens, they will be a little bit more aware and a little bit more knowledgeable on what they can do to help in the situation. So that's a big thing. I don't mind people asking questions. I'm more than happy to answer any questions that they want to know. Obviously, I'm not a gold star diabetic, so I may not be able to answer everything, but that's fine. It's then when people are like, why do you have lollies in your bag? Can I have one? And that's something that has happened to me, although it was in primary school. It tends to skew towards younger kids, which is fine. They're much more unaware than we are as adults, but being intrusive and being like overly curious to the point where you wouldn't ask something really in depth about someone's personal life say you come across someone who isn't able-bodied and you're not going to then quiz them about what's going on with them it's the same as diabetes just because you can't visibly see it doesn't mean it's not still hurtful when people start being like why do you do this why do you do that how come why were you diagnosed? Oh, it must be your lifestyle. Like, just little things like that that you need to be careful of. It comes back to intent, but also just it being none of your business as well. There is a line, and it's not that hard to find that line, if I'm being honest. It's just common sense. And I guess the thing to round off things not to do or say to diabetics is that do not judge them especially if you are not a medical professional, on how they manage their diabetes. As mentioned, I'm not a gold star diabetic. I definitely can do a lot better to manage my diabetes and be that kind of perfect little diabetic child. But I mean, 21 years is a long time and no diabetic is going to be a fully gold star diabetic. Otherwise, you've got a very specifically not working pancreas that is very much in your favour or you're just pedantic about it, which is also fine. But I am not that kind of diabetic and I know that and it's something that I myself am working on. But if you want to really piss off a diabetic, try and tell them that they're not managing their diabetes properly. 
I have many a story <laughs> about that sort of thing. Funnily enough, mostly coming from people that I have seen in the medical profession. Obviously, I'm not going to go in depth about that. The only thing I will say is that one time I had a dietitian tell me that they carb counted for a week and so it was fine. That's nice, except my carb counting is for my entire life, not for a week. So little things like that where they where you say it's easy or if you try and be like, oh, you should do this instead or even worse if you're like oh I heard that you know having coconut oil every day is going to help cure your diabetes just shit like that where it's like okay that's nice that you have your theories tell your friends about them (laughs) that's cool maybe they know you and know your intent better than I do but don't tell me how to cure an incurable condition and also don't judge me on how I'm managing my diabetes if you don't know my backstory So that's a couple of very easy go-to things to not offend a diabetic. (laughs) Now, since my diabetes has turned 21, and so it can go and legally drink over in America now, basically I want to have a chat about type 1 diabetes versus alcohol. Funny misconception about that. Usually you would think that when you have alcohol, it's the exact same. You have Diet Coke with your rum, or you have diet lemonade and vodka or something like that but you should have diet drinks wrong (laughs) if you have a diet drink with alcohol you're actually much more likely to go low so it's best when a diabetic is having alcohol to actually have something that's full strength because with the alcohol and probably the movement that you will be like doing and going about your little drunken life when you get a little tipsy, that ends up leading to your blood sugars going down. Um, but it's also just generally the alcohol will make your blood sugars either plateau or go down, but very, very rarely go up. Having a full strength mixer or soft drink or something with it is actually really good. It's also one of those things where if you're around a diabetic, it's always best for them to have food before going out because that'll help sustain the blood sugars rather than drop them while they're out drinking. Also, the little midnight snack that you have when you get home after going out on a night, (laughs) that is a safety thing for me. (laughs) If I have had a couple of drinks or something when I've gone out and I come back home, having a muesli bar or a slice of bread or something like that (laughs) is actually a kind of fail-safe So that when I go to bed, I will know that there are carbohydrates in my system that are keeping my blood sugars up and keeping them good. So I don't have a hypo and go low um, and end up having to go to the hospital. So midnight snacks are good for diabetics, especially after you've had a bit of a night out. The next thing that I want to jump onto is something that's a little bit more serious. And this revolves more around... Just creating awareness about what us diabetics go through. I'm going to keep saying throughout this whole thing that this is just my point of view. Obviously, we're not all the same. We all deal with it differently. We have different views of it. We have different ways of managing it. And so this is not everyone's point of view, but it is mine. Um, And it's how I feel about it after having had type 1 diabetes for 21 years now. So I wanted to talk about kind of the day-to-day lifestyle of a diabetic. So not being a gold star diabetic and not looking after it maybe as much as I should have, which I'll be going into a little bit more down the track, is that 
it's still, even not managing it as well as you should, it is still constant management day to day to stay alive. It sounds dramatic, and I guess it is a little bit dramatic, but even at your worst as a diabetic, you are still doing what you can to not fall asleep and then not wake up and be in a diabetic coma. So it's it's something that's not it's not in the forefront of your mind all the time, well not for me at least, but it is always perpetually in the back of your mind. I wake up in the morning and I test my blood sugar to make sure that I'm not too low. I go out to lunch and maybe I'm feeling a little bit uneasy because I'm having a bit of a later lunch so I need to go and make sure that my sugars are okay and then bring them back up and then keep them there which has a whole thing around long and short acting insulin and then you've got the pump it's a whole thing but basically there is always that constant thing in the back of your mind and especially for me before I go to sleep because obviously you sleep for a long time and I can't I don't you know just automatically wake up at 2am to check my sugar but it is that constant can I have this? Is it okay? Can I go to bed now? Do I need to stay up for two hours and get my sugars back up to normal? And that's not even to mention when, because I got it as a very, very small child, my parents had to do that day to day while I was a kid. They were the ones that, you know, when I went to bed at 8.30 and mum would come in and check my sugar at 10.30 when she went to bed to make sure that it was okay. And so it's just one of those things where it is constant even at its worst it is absolutely constant I guess that's one of those other things as well talking about the physicalness of diabetes obviously it's something that you don't really notice on someone until they bring it up especially for myself I clip my insulin pump onto my bra so a lot of people don't actually know that I have it until I bring it up if people are using needles then that's even less so unless you go through their handbag like It's one of those things where it is a very physical illness when you start managing it with things like pumps and the Dexcom, which is a continuous glucose monitor. There are a lot of good advances, but, you know, I have a patch on my stomach where the pump cannula goes into, and that's something very physical. So if I'm going to the beach in a bikini, I've got that, like, medical patch on me. And obviously, if you're around people who you maybe don't know too well... It's a bit of a thing like, oh, are they going to bring it up? Are they going to mention something about it? Hopefully they won't, but sometimes they do. And so you've got the pump for that. And then the uh, CGM, continuous glucose monitor for reference, the CGM is also something that is quite intrusive, I would call it. Um, And it's a very obvious thing that you put like on yourself and then with your needles and stuff. Obviously you have to take them out and calibrate those. So depending on where you're, you're at, either with the pen needles, the insulin pump, the continuous glucose monitor, it's still a very physical thing. And obviously as a teenager growing up, which is in adolescence is when you're usually diagnosed, it's a big thing how people view you physically. And so that's just another added thing. And I was lucky growing up, I always had other diabetics around me. So it wasn't that weird. Um, when I got a pump, one of the other boys that I went to school with already had a pump. So it wasn't strange. I luckily didn't go through that, but it's still something I think of. So that's another thing that kind of influences the day-to-day management of it. And then you go through, obviously, the general frustration 
around having a condition like this, which is very, very common because it's one of those things where a simple act for most people is something that is, being dramatic again, life or death. Something as simple as eating food or maybe you miss a meal because you're too busy and you just forget. Stuff like that (laughs) isn't as simple as it is to people who can regulate their insulin. Because if I forget to have dinner and I go to sleep, I could go low overnight and end up having a hypo. Whereas, obviously, someone who doesn't might just wake up really hungry in the morning. Maybe a little bit dizzy, but they're generally fine. So that's, I guess, a big fear that comes into account with diabetics. That doesn't quite happen with people who are not diabetics. Another common question that I get about my diabetes is what does it feel like to have a hypo or a hyper? So hyper is basically when your blood sugar levels are too high and a hypo is when your blood sugar levels are too low. So hypers and being high is not what it sounds like on paper. By the way, I don't get real high. I just get high and it's annoying. (laughs) So basically with this one, when you're high, it's a bit less obvious. I tend to be a lot more thirsty and want to drink a lot more and also use the bathroom. That is the biggest two symptoms of having a hyper. But those ones aren't too bad. It's inconvenient, sure, but it's not as bad as going low. So going low is the more dangerous one, definitely. So basically, when I go low, and again, the symptoms are different for a lot of people, so ask your diabetic friend about it so that you know what to look out for when they're low. For me personally, when I go low, a few different things happen. I get very dizzy. My eyes get very glassy, so I kind of look like I'm on another planet and I'm just like spacing out. Um, Nausea is a big one, especially the lower that I get. I get a lot more nauseated. I get sweaty, which is real lovely. It's one of the more attractive parts of it. And also I become a raging bitch. So if I'm ever an absolute cow to anyone around me, tell me that I'm low and hand me a bit of cordial because that's probably what's happening. But it's a lot more obvious that I am low to my friends. So that's one of the things. But it's also that if you go low, if you stay high, sorry, for a few hours it's bad but it's not horrific whereas going low it can be so differentiating because there is a much smaller gap that you can fall into to whether you're okay one minute and then not okay the next and this is the one that you have to worry about especially overnight because this is when you go under and then you go into a diabetic coma it's the easiest way to be not okay basically So that's what it feels like to go through a hypo and there's some of the symptoms that I go through. But I hear a lot of people asking because I imagine the majority of people that listen to this don't have diabetes and probably are just listening because they're curious, which, cool, thank you for listening this far, is that how do you deal with a diabetic who's gone low? Again, I'm not a medical professional. I've just had diabetes for a long time. Ask your friend or ask a medical professional about how to combat it, especially for individual people. In my experience, when you go low, the default, if you know no diabetics and someone has just gone low, maybe they've got a medical alert bracelet on that says they're a type 1 diabetic, get them sugar. 
if they are conscious, make give them a Coke or a Fanta or cordial or juice, something that is high in fast-acting carbohydrates, um, something that is sugary because that will spike their sugar levels. And even if they go high, it's better than them going too low and then passing out because if they're still conscious, you can still help them. So get them something sugary. If you're walking around with a Sprite or something in your hand, just give it to them especially if they're conscious and you can ask them about it definitely ask them first but try and get them something sugary after that it's good to have something like bread or milk something that has longer acting carbohydrates just to kind of balance it out and make sure that they don't spike up and then go straight back down again if they're unconscious it kind of depends obviously I'm the one that's unconscious if it's in that situation, so I haven't been able to experience that. But I have heard that if someone's unconscious, it is good to rub like syrup or honey or something on their gums so that it absorbs. It's obviously not the most ideal, and if somebody is passed out or unwell to the point where they are not conscious enough for you to interact with them, call triple zero. I know it might be scary or something like that, but the best thing you can do is call them and have them say, just do this, it's okay, don't worry about it. But call triple zero if someone is not responsive because it is. it could be a matter of hours as to when this happened. I actually put up on my Instagram about if anyone had stories to share and one of my friends told me about her now ex-boyfriend who basically went under and this same thing happened where he went into a, I'm not sure if it was a diabetic coma or just became unconscious, but she said that it was essentially the doctors told her he had hours to live if they hadn't gone to the hospital. So it's one of those things where it's better to be safe than sorry. It's better to be told, hey, you didn't need to do this, here's what you should do next time, than the worst case scenario. So when in doubt, call the ambulance, call the paramedics, call triple zero. But if someone is conscious, get them some sugar. So off the back of that, I wanted to talk about something that I don't feel like gets spoken about very often at all uh, when it comes to diabetes. And I've only ever heard diabetics themselves talk about it, not it revolving around type 1 diabetes. And that's burnouts. So a burnout is essentially, you know how you have a rebellious phase as a teenager? Basically, this rebellious phase is specifically for diabetics. And it's not like, mom, no, I don't want to do this. It's just more of you reach a point of having diabetes where, where you basically just say, what's the point? And I know it sounds bad, but if you imagine trying to work with a condition day-to-day on a daily basis that usually differentiates you from other people, at some point you are going to resent it. And that's natural. I mean, it's not something that's good, but it's not something that's necessarily horrible either. It makes sense. If you step back and look at it, it does make sense. And so the burnout is basically saying... I'm going to have to do this my entire life. What's the point in so being so nitpicky about it all? Why don't I just kind of half-ass it? And it's not a good mindset to be in. Um, It's something that apparently, from what I've heard anyway, usually happens about 10 years after being diagnosed. Because I was diagnosed at such a young age, my burnout came more around when I was about 
20, so a good, you know, eight years or so too late. Um, but that was me coming into adulthood um, rather than my teenage years, which living at home, my parents helped regulate it. So it was kind of supported. So my burnout is basically what I was talking about. It's not an active defiance against managing my type 1 diabetes. It's just, in the best way I can describe it, is that it is just a general apathy towards diabetes, which is not healthy at its core, but it's also something that being in discussions with other diabetics is so incredibly common. It's like you have to do your injections with the insulin pens throughout the day. There is going to be some point where you'll be out with your friends and you won't want to do it because you don't want to just pull out your needles um, in front of everyone unless you're a kid like me and you love freaking your friends out with like stabbing yourself with needles, which sounds so morbid, but trust me, morbid comedy is how I laugh at my diabetes. It's my favourite way to do it. Slightly freaking people out, but making it into a joke, so dark humor revolving around diabetes, totally fine. Get behind it. It's actually a lot of fun. (laughs) But obviously, if you've got friends, make sure they're okay with it first. Otherwise, that could be a very awkward situation. Going into the whole burnout side of things, it's something that you definitely need to talk to a professional or at least your friends about or your family because it's something you really need to pull yourself out of because it's your health. And obviously, it's an incredibly important part of managing diabetes is actively managing it (laughs) and so the burnout side of things it's not people necessarily defying the fact they have diabetes it's just the fact that we have it and sometimes that affects us more than other times and those times are when we're like what's going to happen if I leave it for an hour it'll be fine I don't care so It's one of the parts of having type 1 diabetes that people don't really talk about. And to the point where I used to see specific doctors and a lot of them didn't know what a burnout was. And that definitely didn't help my case. And I am still working through managing my type 1 diabetes better because we're all on a journey to recovery and being better and all that sort of bullshit. But it's definitely a part that you need to work through and you need to work through with the right people and people that understand it and you need to find people that really do understand it because otherwise if it gets left unchecked it just gets worse with any medical condition mental health wise physical health wise you need to check it before it wrecks you essentially so that's a really important thing that I think people don't talk about much that should be discussed a lot more. And on that note, I think having a support network is really, really important. Being able to have people around you that ask questions in the right way, that are generally curious and trying to make sure that they have the information that they need if something happens is incredibly important. Obviously, parents and friends come into that kind of support network circle. Outside of that, there are also communities that you can go through and you can use um, to be able to talk to other diabetics. I know when I was younger, I think they still happen now, but I could not tell you what they are because I'm 22 years old and I don't do them anymore. But there are diabetic camps you can go to, which is pretty much kids and their parents if they're younger 
go to this camp and just hang out. It's just all diabetics. You've got professionals there as well, I'm pretty sure. But that was really cool. I had a diabetic pen pal once. That was fun. Um, but I think I lost her address and just never spoke to her again. I think her name was Jen. I have no idea. Who knows where she is? I hope she's doing well now. Otherwise, there are things like there's a Facebook group, um, which is like Diabetes Connect. It's for people 14 to 24. Um, so that's a very specific age range, which I'm almost out of, which makes me very sad. Um, there are Facebook groups as well, where people basically just post about questions they have, something that's happened to them, maybe articles. And so basically that's just another way to be supported if you've got diabetes or something to tell your friends about. The amount of Facebook pages that are out there as well, for those listening, I'm sure there are some out there that revolve around parents or friends with diabetes and being able to talk about the struggles because, yeah, it sucks having type 1 diabetes. Anyone with any kind of medical condition knows that whatever it is usually sucks. (laughs) But the thing is, as much as we go through it and as much as I could drabble on about how shit things are having type 1 diabetes... Being able to be in these communities is also an amazing thing. And it's not all, you know, crap. (laughs) There are good parts to it as well. There are very fulfilling parts when you're teaching people about type 1. It's shit, but it is what it is and you can't change it. So why be entirely upset over it is basically my point of view on it. But it is also hard on people with friends or family that have type 1 diabetes too. You look at my parents who had a little tiny kid who had type 1 diabetes. That couldn't have been easy. So having a support network like that as well for the people that are supporting the diabetics is important because there are elements to that where, and I'm sure this has happened in various different ways, but it's like if someone's just been diagnosed with diabetes, how are you meant to talk about maybe terrible example but you've got the flu you can you 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 might feel like you don't want to bring it up because it's not as bad and it's little things like that that you need to talk through as well yeah the diabetes is shit but you're allowed to still be worried and have anxiety around it as well like so just finding those networks is really really important I think and just being able to find them through social media personally just wherever you can so that you the diabetic or the supporter feel supported too now obviously we need to keep on brand for this episode so coming up to the acknowledgement corner I'm going to bring up something that's incredibly obvious and that is the acknowledgement corner for this week being the JDRF. So this is the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. If you want to donate towards finding a cure for type 1 diabetes, head over to the JDRF. Um, Just Google them. You can head over there and donate towards helping with stem cell research and other research uh, revolving around management or curing type 1 diabetes. These guys are amazing. Um, They're the kind of biggest type 1 diabetic body Uh, that support this, you know, finding a cure and helping with management. And so definitely if you want to find out more information and have more resources, head over to their website and just read up on it a little bit more. There's ways that you can support, ways that you can connect. Um, They just generally do a really good job. Also something that is coming up um, in October, as far as I'm aware, there are various dates, but they do have the JDRF One Walk Day. 
Um, so basically for that one, you sign up, you get a team together. I'm currently trying to rally together my work team <laughs> to do that. And you basically just do, I think it's like a three or a 5k walk. You can run it if you want. You can stroll, you can power walk, whatever you want to do. But you do the walk, you get together money and get a donation um, kind of pool together to put money towards the walk. And these days are amazing. They tend to rein in a fair bit of money, which is amazing to go towards medical research and awareness around type 1 diabetes, but it's a really awesome day. So I would highly recommend getting a team together, going on and finding a bit more about it. Just head over, um, type into Google JDRF One Walk um, and find where it is in your area. I know it's all over Australia. I'm going to assume probably not with the JDRF, but with a different body. They would do similar things outside of Australia too. Just head onto their website, JDRF One Walk, find out the closest place to you and go and partake because it is an awesome day. Um, and there's obviously things for kids and stuff there as well, but it's just a really, really good day. Now, Again, staying on brand because that's what we've got to do for this one. We've got an actual theme here, so we need to stay on brand. So this nugget of nonsense for this week is something a little deep, of course, because why not? Um, but I wanted to talk about the concept of incurable. It's something that revolves around diabetes that I actually don't hear a lot of people talk about. But the hard truth of it is that type 1 diabetes does not have a cure. So I basically had a chat here about how it is incurable, how that makes me feel, and kind of what comes with that. So here we go. I don't know about you, but when I hear the term incurable, I think terminal, which is very morbid. And they are not the same thing. Definitely not, um, but type 1 diabetes is something that is technically incurable. People are yet to find a cure about it, and in fact, only recently actually found ways to manage it well through insulin. And that was only recent, if I remember correctly, I think that was probably in the 80s, maybe the 60s, they found out about insulin and that that could help manage diabetes. And so it's crazy to think that so recently that development was only made, but that still doesn't get us closer to a cure. And if I'm being honest, I don't know if that'll even happen in my lifetime or soon, because it's a very complicated thing where if people wanted to try and just insert a new pancreas, which is the thing that basically produces insulin, it's what's not working in my body. <laughs> if someone just tried to put a new pancreas in, the body would fight it and see it as a foreign object and wouldn't let it stay. And that, to my knowledge, I'm not a medical professional and I don't know exacts, but to my knowledge that is the main thing that they're trying to overcome, is not having your body reject whatever you're trying to put in there to stop the diabetes. <laughs> so the concept of incurable is strange. I don't know how it affects people who got type 1 later in life, i.e. when they're meant to in adolescence. For me as a little kid, I don't know life that isn't with diabetes. I cannot remember a time where I 
didn't have to be injected either using the pump or pens or syringes to have insulin in my body and effectively stay alive <laughs> um, but it's something that I will have to do for the rest of my life unless they find a cure but they haven't found one yet and that's a very strange thing to think of which I don't think about very often to be honest because like I said it's a way of life for me it's not something that I got it's just something that I grew up with but it is incurable and nothing is going to stop this extra management that I have to do for the rest of my life unless there's a spike in medical research and someone finds out how to do it. So the concept of incurable is a little weird to me because incurable I think of watching the really sad rom-coms and someone has an incurable disease and they've got two months to live whereas that's not the case. It varies obviously depending on your management but having this incurable condition does not mean that I am terminal. It just means that this is my life and this is a lot of other people's life until proven otherwise. So that's my little take <laughs> on the concept of incurable and something that doesn't have a cure. Hopefully I didn't depress you too much. Um, it's not something that depresses me. I don't think about it often, but it is strange. So I hope you enjoyed my little ramble about this. Well, that brings to a close our very long-winded megasode chat about type 1 diabetes. I genuinely hope that you enjoyed listening to this and I hope that you took something away from it as well. Whether you have diabetes and you just wanted to hear someone chat about what they went through or if you're someone listening who knows someone that has diabetes and in that case hopefully you learnt something from this because that's really all I can ask is that you learn and maybe donate a little bit of money towards JDRF um, and just kind of think about what it's like living as someone else so having a different perspective on life through the viewpoint of someone with what is essentially a dead organ floating in their body again morbid <laughs> basically though I just really hope that you enjoyed listening to this I don't know that I'll be doing episodes as long as this again unless it's some other special occasion but I really did enjoy talking about type 1 diabetes because it's much more of a niche obviously but it's something obviously very close to my heart that I've had for my entire life and I do like educating people about it I think it's really awesome to be able to teach people new things about something that they may not have known about beforehand so saying that I hope that you all have a lovely week if you'd like to please head over to my Instagram and Facebook both just nonsense acknowledged Give me a follow over there and keep up with what I'm doing there. Also, let me know on those accounts if you've got any experiences revolving around type 1 diabetes. I'd love to read about them. I'm always very interested. Um, or even if you want to head over there and let me know if you like this episode, if you thought it was utter shit, <laughs> or if you want me to talk a bit more about this sort of stuff as well. Chuck some things at me. Just let me know what you thought of it. But either way, have an absolutely lovely week, and I will see you with something that's probably not as heavy next month for another episode. See you then. Bye, guys.